from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odeschalette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Jacqueline Clare on August 31, 2020. Jacqueline is an artist whose motivation is exploring how art can be all the elevating, transcending, culture-evolving things we want it to be, while also being inclusive, welcoming, and participatory. Her work spans a range from fine art on canvas to children's illustration. We talk about her art, her work in groups, her podcast, and her upcoming book release. I started the interview by asking Jacqueline where she grew up and what was religious life like growing up. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. I had a really blessed, like dynamic upbringing in that everyone in my family pretty much is an artist, like some sort of creative professional and they have all kinds of like wild interesting stories and that was something that was common to all of my relatives and then also the ones that were closest to me my mom and my grandparents were members of the Baha'i faith and then everyone else though like very creative and very moral and interesting in their own right was completely irreligious sort of you know this, I think, very Western or American mentality of like, what does it do for me? You know, like I'm happy or I want to be successful or whatever. Like what does having some belief in God and set of spiritual guidance given from on high, like how does that really impact my life? You know, so I always had both examples, the irreligious and the Baha'i. With my grandparents and with my mom, you know, the Baha'i faith teaches that there is a, a loving creator that is intimately concerned with our individual being and our spiritual growth and also the whole planet all at once and all of the major religions that have been known to humanity are true and valid, and that the most important things for this day and age are truthfulness and elimination of prejudice. So really wonderful principles to be brought up with, especially the one about respecting and appreciating other religions. My mom was really strong in encouraging me to learn about other faiths. The Baha'i faith is not inherited. It's not assumed just because your parents are Baha'i that you will be Baha'i. When you're 15 is when you're old enough to make that choice for yourself. And my mom really felt that like for me to make that choice with integrity, I had to know about other faiths. So that was a bit about my upbringing. At the time, San Antonio was an extremely conservative place. So growing up in the 90s, being Baha'i kind of felt like just something else that made me weird. I think now there's a much more openness to different paths. But I was always grateful for it in spite of that. 
So it intrigues me that you say you have a lot of interesting stories about growing up. Maybe you could share one with us. They aren't my stories. I've had a pretty tame life, but I grew up with so many stories. So my biological grandfather was a Silver Age science fiction writer, sort of a writer's writer. His name is Keith Lahmer. And he became more and more eccentric as he grew older. And he lived on the island, they said. It was a house in Florida that he had built himself. And it was surrounded by water. People would come to stay with him. And one such group of people was actually the Who. My uncle was a rock and roll photographer and stage manager for the Who. He actually went to art school at Ealing, and his roommate was Pete Townsend. And he's credited with introducing Pete Townsend to American blues and marijuana. <laughs> and there's you know, so many layers in this one story. By the way, he will be very mad if he finds out I shared this story. <laughs> so they were staying at my grandfather's house on the island in Florida. My mom was about 12 or 13. She was on the opposite side of the water, on the other side of the property, and she was wearing this very colorful dress. She swears up and down, and she's the one who's a Baha'i, so I believe her, that Keith Moon, who knows what planet he was on in his own mind, he actually shot at her. Oh, with, my God. And missed, thank heavens. But, you know, she probably looked like a bird or something in her colorful dress. That evening, perhaps as some sort of apology, like realizing his error, Keith Moon came knocking on her door with a plate of like snacks or dinner and said, cabana room service. <laughs> so that's just one story. Amazing. I could see why you say you grew up with wild stories. Now, how is it that your mother became a Baha'i? Well, it actually starts with my grandmother who... It was 1963 or 64. That is an interesting time in Baha'i history. They happened to live in London in the early 60s, but knew nothing about the faith, and then moved to San Antonio. My grandmother was going through a lot of personal challenges, and she had been praying a lot. She was from a Methodist background, was a Southern Belle from Birmingham, Alabama originally, one day in San Antonio, a door-to-door -door salesman came selling great books. In addition to, you know, Shakespeare and all of that, he also had religious books. And he engaged her in a conversation about faith. And according to her, he asked her, do you want to know what my religion is? And she said, not really. I'm not really interested. <laughs> and somehow he ended up telling her anyway and within about 48 hours, she had declared her faith in the Baha'i faith. One of the main principles that attracted her was the oneness of mankind and the elimination of prejudice. Again, growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, born in 1925, she grew up in an overtly racist society and always felt that that was wrong. My mom was about seven at that time. And it took her about 20 years, which I think is not uncommon for children of Baha'is. Her stepfather, actually, my grandmother remarried. He was a Catholic and then became a very deepened Baha'i. So it was like, you know, this trajectory here. And it was actually my step 
grandfather, Henry Reed, who really nurtured my mom and started answering her questions. And one of the most impactful books for her was a compilation called The Divine Art of Living, which very simply, very short passages covers this whole scope about, you know, the Baha'i perspective on why we're here, what the purpose of our life is, the power of love to bind together the atoms of the universe, and then also social teachings like marriage and family and elimination of prejudice. So Jacqueline, you're an artist, and we'll get into your work momentarily, but when did art appear in your life? Well, as I mentioned, I grew up with it. So there's an element of it to me that is normal, you know, like just that creativity can be an important part of your life. And even your profession was something I grew up believing. I was nurtured in painting and drawing like that was always encouraged. And I was surrounded by my mom's artwork. But my focus was actually the art of acting for a good 19 years of my life. It was actually in the thick of it, actually living in L.A. and really pursuing acting as a full-time big deal type of thing that I realized, you know, I don't actually think this is working. I don't actually feel that this is bringing me joy or anyone else. In the meantime, I started returning to just a pastime of drawing and painting. And I found that I was not only more confident in my work, in visual art as opposed to acting, but that it felt just a much more direct way to communicate those universal qualities of love or beauty or to share stories that ennoble and uplift people than acting at that time for me. So that shift was about 2017, 2018. So fairly recent. Yeah, fairly recent in the, the scheme of things. So I'm speaking with Jacqueline Clare, an artist whose motivation is exploring how art can be all the elevating, transcending, culturally evolving things we want it to be, while also being inclusive, welcoming, and participatory. Her work spans a range from fine art on canvas to children's illustration. So I just summarized your art in two sentences, but maybe you could elaborate for us how you would describe your art. Well, what you just said, that wonderful nutshell, really does encapsulate what unifies all of my work, since there is a range from fine art on canvas to illustration. The overall goal of all of it is to connect and elevate and inspire. So my fine art on canvas, I call it spiritual realism, which is sort of a play on words. As a spiritual believer and seeker in this life, I believe that we experience life on two levels. There's the material, the part that we can see and touch and feels very important to us while it's happening. And then there are the unseen spiritual forces that are true reality. In my visual art, I seek to bring those together in one image. So 
there's something material and recognizable, like a tree or a human figure or the moon. And then there are these abstract expressionist elements that represent those unseen spiritual forces. So that's my fine art, spiritual realism. And then my children's work, I actually have my first Baha'i children's book coming out soon. We're in the formatting stage. They're just very joyful and hopefully relatable images that help children understand some of the basic meanings of spiritual principles. You made a presentation that I saw on your website called Awaken to Your Life as a Spiritual Journey. Can you tell us about that presentation? This is an interactive art and spiritual storytelling show that I have toured throughout parts of the U.S., Texas, and New Mexico, and shared it with audiences ranging from very Baha'i community to totally secular, like, you know, city spaces and universities, interfaith spaces. And it's based on this mystical book in the Baha'i tradition called The Seven Valleys, which in very symbolic language talks about the stages of growth, the universal stages of growth that an individual soul goes through in its journey towards God. The show integrates storytelling, me sharing the Seven Valleys itself, and then also this series of artwork that I created called The Seven Valleys of Summer. It was created during a challenging period in my life and All of this is sort of woven together in this larger idea about each of our lives being a spiritual journey and how, you know, we have the symbol of the valleys. We have these ups and these downs. And it's designed to be conversation-based. So every show is different because it's so centered around facilitating dialogue amongst the unique individuals who are there that day or that night, you know, guiding them through this journey, these stories, these symbols, and then hearing what insights they have. And we use the artwork as just a way to think more creatively, sort of invite personal associations and artistic and creative ideas about what we're talking about. So We go past the head and kind of connect our hearts to these spiritual ideas. So I'm speaking with Jacqueline Clare, who's an artist whose motivation is exploring how art can be all the elevating, transcending, culturally evolving things we want it to be, while also being inclusive, welcoming, and participatory. Her work spans a range from fine art on campus, which she calls spiritual realism, to children's illustration. She just described for us her presentation uh, that she took on the road called Awaken to Your Life as a Spiritual Journey. Now, there was something else I saw on your website called 19 Days of Hope. What is that? So every year during the Baha'i Fast, which is a 19-day daylight fast that is mostly of spiritual significance, I 
host a project called 19 Days of Inspiration. And it's daily emails that people voluntarily sign up for that integrate artwork with quotes from the Baha'i faith and then a little personal reflection. And so it's just a, a contribution to help sort of powwow through this collective but challenging experience of a daylight fast. And this year, of course, was extremely unique. You know, it seemed like right after I finished this project that really helped bring people together, you know, there was a lot of shared dialogue about the day's email or reflection. It was this wonderful sense of enthusiasm. I think people enjoy waking up and getting the email that day and feeling connected to this big, beautiful picture. And this year that ended and all of a sudden we were in lockdown and everything just felt like it was like frayed and falling apart and everyone was very, you know, confused and scared and apprehensive. And I felt like, gosh, we really need something right now. So almost immediate turnaround, I did something new, which was 19 Days of Hope, which was a similar project, except we included online group chats once a week. You know, and again, this was like proper, like during the U.S. lockdown and a little bit afterwards, just being able to have this hopeful space the exploration was really like, what is the spiritual principle of hope? Sometimes it becomes synonymous with like wishing, you know, or some sort of egoic hope. If I just hope that I get a Mercedes hard enough, I will. And it's like, well, I don't know that that's the same hope that's like in the Bible and in Baha'i prayers. Maybe hope is more of this alignment with this reality of God, with the optimizing force of the universe. So it was really a 19-day reflection using art and a little bit of literary exploration and dialogue to really strengthen in that virtue. If someone was interested in participating in the next one that you do, is there a way that they could be notified of the opportunity? Absolutely. There's several ways. The single best way would be to go to my website, Jacqueline Claire Art, and just sign up for my email list because I'm pretty good about sharing opportunities and announcements like that. And I'm also on Facebook, Jacqueline Claire Art, and I make announcements there as well. So I'm speaking with Jacqueline Claire, who's an artist whose motivation is exploring how art can be all the elevating, transcending, culturally evolving things we want it to be, while also being inclusive, welcoming, and participatory. Her work spans a range from fine art on canvas to children's illustration. She just spoke about her project, 19 Days of Inspiration, which is participatory, as well as the extension of that. And that 19 Days of Inspiration is during the 19-day Baha'i Fast which is basically the beginning of March until the vernal equinox. And then for the pandemic, she described how she extended that to something called 19 Days of Hope to help folks cope with the strange things that are going on in 2020. So Jacqueline, you have a blog. So why don't you tell us about that? 
I'm a lover of blogs. I love to hear what people are thinking and get inspiration and tips and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I guess I'm just a communicator, you know, like all ways that I can share and create invitations for people to converse with me and that sort of thing. So my blog is all centered in some form or another around art, whether it's sharing pieces of mine and the stories behind them or my life path, my art journey and life adventure, I've said. And I also have a podcast called Spiritual Conversation, which leans more heavily on exploring spiritual concepts, though there's a a little bit of overlap between the two with how the process of making art also teaches me a lot about spiritual principles. And how often do you release an episode on your podcast? Or is it periodic or is it uh, when this yeah, spirit moves you? It's biweekly. It's every mm-hmm. other Tuesday. You had referred to your website, JacquelineClaireArt.com. Now, if someone went to your website, what would they find? They would find a gallery of fine art that is available. People can purchase on my website. I have prints. I have a gift shop. Right now I have some Humanity is One and So Powerful is the Light of Unity yard signs, bumper stickers, like anything to get the message out there. And there are also links to my podcast, my tour, which is sadly and understandably on indefinite hold. Also, you know, an about page, some of the topics you and I have covered. And I also offer classes on Zoom or FaceTime, one-on-one art classes. So I'm speaking with Jacqueline Clare, who's an artist whose motivation is exploring how art can be all the elevating, transcending, culturally evolving things we want it to be, while also being inclusive, welcoming, and participatory. And her work spans a range from fine art on canvas to children's illustration. We were just talking about her blog, her podcast, and what else folks can find on her website. You had mentioned this earlier, that you are near the completion of a children's book, a spiritual empowering children's book. Can you tell us something about that book? Yes, I can. I have been immersed in it. I'm so excited about this project. So it's called Noble Beings, and it's a spiritual handbook for children of all ages, which includes you and me, because we all have, you know, our childlike core, I believe. It is a compilation of short quotes and excerpts directly from the Baha'i writings. It covers a broad range of topics, sort of going from our innate spiritual nobility, like the love with which God created each one of us, and also goes through some virtues, some wonderful character principles to aim for, like courtesy and truthfulness, and then also our attitude and orientation towards others, having a global mindset and being concerned with the welfare of others. So very broad overview. That's why I call it a spiritual handbook. The illustrations are all just very joyful and relatable characters sort of representing 
the quote. For example, one of my favorites, it's a quote from the Baha'i writings that says, truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues. And I love this quote. And I thought for a long time, like, how could I illustrate this in a way that would help a child understand what it means? I finally came up with the idea of showing a child what a foundation is, like just in a straightforward way. Foundation is what you create first before you build your house or a building. And you need this to be strong and straight so that it can support what you build, which in my feeling is like it's supporting your whole life or your whole personality or your whole character. So it's a darling little boy and he's standing on a foundation. He like has his work boots on. This is like his construction site. And he's holding up his hand and he has the other hand on his heart, like as if he's testifying or telling the truth. And he looks very happy. And the bricks that are set aside for him to start building his house with, they have virtues on them too, like love and humility. So showing that truthfulness is the foundation for these other virtues. And once it's published, I guess they could find it on your website as well. Right. I'm going to self-publish it. Well, Jacqueline, I want to thank you so much for sharing your art with us. Oh, thank you, Warren. It was wonderful being on your show. I enjoyed this conversation. As Jacqueline explained in the interview, she produces a podcast which you can find on her website, JacquelineClaireArt.com. The following episode is from her podcast, and it's entitled Independent Investigation of Truth. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Spiritual Conversation, honest and joyful explorations of ideas to help us align with our true spiritual purpose and live our best lives. I am your host, Jacqueline Clare, mermaid of the airwaves, here to take your hand and go on some deep dives together. And boy, oh boy, do we need some spiritual conversations. I think you might relate to this. Sometimes when I have so much to say and I have so many thoughts trying to to process my own experience of the world around me is actually when I'm the most challenged to actually articulate my thoughts and find a starting point. So I'm going to do my best here after, after a long time of feeling like I was holding my breath, being like, oh, what do I even say? Where I will start is to bring your attention to September being Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and we are in Suicide Awareness, Suicide Prevention Awareness Week. And this is something that touches many, many people's lives, suicide or the attempt of it. And it certainly has touched my life very deeply. And I had thought that I would dedicate this month to stories about suicide prevention and that sort of thing and the causes of suicide. And I feel like there are so many additional things going on that I can't just like focus on that this month. But I hope that in our personal lives and in our abilities to serve in our communities, that that is something that we give special attention to right now. Because 
the state of the world and the state of lockdown and mask mandates um, is what it is for what it is seeking to prevent and curb, but it's also causing a lot of other problems because um, when people can't go out in public and they're not going to school or what have you, um, the instances of domestic abuse are more unchecked and mental health, we have less opportunities to observe people and connect with people. And then when we're in public and we're wearing masks, you know, one of my things that always made me feel like I was doing something to spread some sunshine in the world was just look people in the eye and smile. And we can do that, but you can't see it. And I think there's actually a lot of hesitancy to look people in the eye right now because everything is just so awkward and there's so much, you know, antagonism and, and that sort of thing. So it's challenging. It's extremely challenging right now to connect with people outside of your immediate sphere that you're, you know, not already having Zoom meetings with or living with. So just want to bring your attention to that and you know, you can still look people in the eye and smile, even if you're wearing a mask, or you can do like I do sometimes and wear a funny mask and hopefully get other people to smile. It actually has led to more conversations than just wearing a regular scarf or something. So just be cognizant, my dear friends. Please think about people in your life and call them, check in, that sort of thing, because behind closed doors and behind closed lips, there's a lot of suffering right now. I think it's accentuated right now. And even for people with relative, you know, happiness and ease in their life, in spite of the pressure right now, and I'm going to come back to that word pressure, it's a hard time. Again, I hope that you are experiencing individual joy and breakthroughs and blessings. But collectively, let's just admit this is a hard time. We are living through a hard time. And not only is there like fear and mortality and confusion and destruction and arguing, there's also a mundane quality to it, this stretching out, this disconnect between sometimes the images we see on the news and what we're experiencing in our life. That's part of it, the disconnect. And then this just massive confusion about what is actually true and where to go for the truth. And these are all literally elements of torture. I'm not accusing anyone. I'm just bringing your attention to what we are collectively going through. Like if you wanted to seriously jack with someone's mind, <laughs> you would keep them captive. Uh, you would disconnect them from other people. You would give them enough trauma just so that they never felt safe. You would give them enough disinfo so that they never knew what to believe. You would instill suspicion of other people etc etc so let's just hold hands and say oh my gosh brothers and sisters these are times we will tell our grandchildren about this is a rough time and we are the generation however old you are you're on this planet right now we are the generation of earthlings 
that have been assigned to live through this, to handle it, and to arise. All right, so what I want to dive into specifically today, and I'm going to be pulling together a lot of threads, hold on tight, is this one aspect of independent investigation of truth slash where do we even go for the truth spiritually and just practically state of the world current events and i'm not going to be giving advice on that specifically but i am going to be exploring this from a spiritual standpoint so One of the principles in my faith, the Baha'i faith, is the independent investigation of truth. And this very literally specifically refers to the responsibility of every individual to investigate spiritual truth for themselves. In other words, rather than just saying, well, my culture, my family, this person I look up to believes X, Y, Z, so that is what I believe, you have a responsibility to look into it yourself, to read the Holy Scriptures, et cetera, et cetera, to pray and meditate, whatever your process is, to think about, to process, not based on prejudice, assumption, or what you've been spoon-fed, but through your own investigation that we as that humanity has progressed to the point that we do not need someone of um you know sort of mortal authority to tell us what to believe ecclesiastes preachers whatever and i think for myself i believe that this approach to life to investigating what is true can be applied to all areas of our life because all areas of our life are connected. It's not our spiritual life and then our economic life and then our intellectual life. They're all connected. So I like to think about investigating truth and all things for myself. And in the United States where I live, it feels very much like our authority rather than it being you know, say a a mullah or a preacher or a guru or whatever, has very much become the media. And and when I say the media, I mean uh, the mainstream three letter, uh, you know, the alphabet agencies, the networks, the mainstream press outlets. And I mean them as institutions, not always the individuals involved. I know people in the media who are journalists and I'm not attacking anyone's character, but I am saying that the media, these networks and press outlets have become a sort of clergy. They literally claim to receive direct information and then don't want to trouble us with looking into it. And granted, there's endless things to look into. I get that. But they will process it for us and tell us what to believe. You can even sign up for three-minute updates on what's going on in the world, you know? And I get it. We have busy lives, and there's a place for that, except that they're not always right, and they often adhere to a specific narrative. 
And I recommend Dave Rubin's book, Don't Burn This Book, for a really great analysis into the present state of things from a journalist and someone uh, who, who has a career in journalism and media to, to analyze this. But for now, I want to just share with you one part of the resignation letter from Bari Weiss. She resigned from the New York Times. I'm linking it below. And she essentially said, I'm leaving because I'm so disappointed in this institution that we are no longer serving the people, but that we are pushing our own ideas on them. And I would think that after consistently getting stories wrong, that we would learn our lesson and we haven't. And I posted this one part on social media. So instead of things being learned, a new consensus has emerged in the press, but perhaps especially at this paper, the New York Times, that truth isn't a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job is to inform everyone else. And I shared this and a friend commented and said, that sounds like some sort of religion. And it's like, yeah. I mean, she even uses the word orthodoxy and enlightenment. And so I've been thinking about this and I've been thinking about justice. And one of the most mystical and well-known Baha'i books is called The Hidden Words. And the second hidden word, it's these collections of short verses. The second one in that book is on justice. And it refers to an element of justice being seeing with your own eyes and not through the eyes of others, to know through your own knowledge and not through the knowledge of your neighbor. So I wonder how many of us are developing our spiritual eyes and what that actually means. And jumping to another part of this weave here, this is a book called The Book of Certitude, and it's another Baha'i book, mystical to a certain degree, but it's also one of the most linear, almost narrative-based Baha'i books. And it's written by Baha'u'llah, 1861, and he is going through well-known religious history, um, the Abrahamic traditions, and how every time there is an arising of a prophet in this Abrahamic tradition, there is great opposition, right? When Jesus came, it wasn't like today where so much of the world, you know, believes in him. It was, he was crucified. The people were not fans, you know? And, and this is a similar story, a similar arc in every religion. There has been tremendous opposition to who is now people who are divinely inspired humans who are now recognized as the mouthpiece of truth. But at the time of their life and their living and their teaching, there was tremendous opposition. And so Baha'u'llah is going through this history in this book, the Book of Certitude. And he asks, 
okay, so if there is tremendous opposition by the Roman establishment in the days of Christ, like why? And if there was opposition to Muhammad, and if there was opposition to the Bab, who is the first, he's the prophet herald of the Baha'i faith, the Muslim clergy and Ecclesiastes slaughtered about 10 to 20,000 of the Bab's followers. And this is all very documented history. So Baha'u'llah is saying, why? Why would they do this? And I highlighted some really interesting passages. Their chief concern is mere opposition. Their sole desire is to ignore the truth. And I think about that phrase, you know, never assign to malice that which you can assign to stupidity, you know? So maybe the religious leaders didn't know better. Maybe the press just doesn't know better. But maybe people are smarter than they let on. Their sole desire is to ignore the truth. Again, that's Baha'u'llah talking about the opposition of Ecclesiastes. But you can take this however you want. The leaders of religion in every age have hindered their people from attaining the shores of eternal salvation inasmuch as they held the reins of authority in their mighty grasp, some for the lust of leadership, others through want of knowledge and understanding. So some it was, it was malicious and some it was, it was a lack of knowledge. And they have been the cause of the deprivation of the people. And further, he says they have busied themselves with selfish calculation and walked in the way of the hypocrite. With all their power and strength, they strive to secure themselves in their petty pursuits, fearful lest the least discredit undermine their authority or blemish the display of their magnificence. And then he says, were the eye to be anointed and illumined with the collyrium, I looked that up, it's an ancient eye cleanser that cured disease, of knowledge. So to clean our eyes, to be illumined with the knowledge of God, it would surely discover that a number of voracious beasts have gathered and preyed upon the carrion of the souls of men. So again, that was 1861, but I think people don't change that much. And I think anytime there is a ruling class, and I'm not talking economics, I'm talking about the power to influence the way people think, there is such opportunity for corruption and people want to hold on to that power. And, and I think that as citizens, we are really struggling right now because we know something is up. And we know that it's hard to get truthful information. I was speaking to my mayor recently, literally on the phone. And, you know, he was just saying, like, our data on, like, COVID is changing so rapidly. Like, we can hardly make any 
any policies or decisions because they'll say this and then they'll say this and this other thing says that and whatever. And this is hard. This is tremendous pressure for us as, as human beings to feel on such shaky ground. And I think this can trigger a really deep form of stress. And in the Book of Certitude, Baha'u'llah goes on to talk about oppression because the prophecies, you know, talk about the oppression of those days when, say, the, the, um, the light of God would return again. And he gives us the definition of oppression. He says, what oppression is more grievous than a soul seeking the truth and wishing to attain unto, in this case, the knowledge of God? should know not where to go for it and from whom to seek it. What oppression is greater than this than to want the truth and not know where to find it? And he goes on that oppression in the translation actually means pressure. Do you feel like you're in a bit of a pressure cooker? Whereas by oppression is meant the want of capacity to acquire spiritual knowledge and apprehend the word of God. And again, oppression is knowing not whither to turn for guidance. So I do recommend the books that I've mentioned. If you want to turn to guidance, uh, either for the state of the world, I rarely recommend Dave Rubin's don't Burn This Book, and for Spiritual, The Hidden Words, and The Book of Certitude, both by Baha'u'llah, are really amazing. And I, my big call here, and the tip of hope and empowerment that I want to leave you with after this, this information to chew on for a while, is that you can turn to yourself. Yeah, you could like take a social media cleanse, you could take a news outlet cleanse a day, a week, a month, whatever, and that could help you reset. Whether you do or not, I'm not here to give you like kitschy advice, though I think those do help. But to remember that you are incredibly powerful. Like, we have so much more capacity innately and so much greater capacity to connect with truth with a capital T filtered through our own being, then we realize it's limitless. And so I would like to join with you in really consistently connecting with that, whether it's walking on the grass with your feet bare and thinking about connecting with God, or it's your morning prayers or meditation, or just, you know, having really honest thoughts and processing for yourself. If you are a person of prayer, which I do recommend, and it's a lifelong journey for me of uh, understanding what that means and how to do it. But I have consistently had this very amazing experience when I pray to be shown the reality of a given situation. And you could apply this to the state of the world. You can apply this to making a decision about, you know, anything, whether it's like voting or how to talk to your neighbor about XYZ, like whatever, how to talk to your son about XYZ. To pray to be shown the reality of a situation. 
I've done this with like jobs and collaborators. Like, is this really going to work out, God? Like, please show me the reality of this situation. When everyone's fighting about what's true or what's not, God, please show me the truth. And a prayer I also recommend to go along with that is please help me to handle it. Because in my experience, it's been pretty like indisputable. When God answers these, like, is this job going to work out? Mm-mm. No, is this collaboration going to work out? Mm-mm. Um, so like, please help me to see what is true and help me also to be able to respond with grace, accept your will or know what the next step is, etc. So that is the cord of hope that I would like to leave you with that you have tremendous capacity and you are not completely at the mercy of a world that is in chaos. You can be your own, your own rock, your own beam of light connected to your source and that you can pray to be shown the reality of situations in your own life, in your own heart and in the world. And I'm going to link below one of my favorite prayers for this. It's to be said at midnight, but I'm, I'm sure God will accept it whatever time you say it, but it is specifically to a seeker of truth. And it talks about having your spiritual eye opened. And I'm sure if you do say it at midnight, it will have even more immediate power, but I'll have that linked below as well. All right, my friends, thanks so much for joining me in this exploration. I'm glad I made it through. This was uh, this was a lot. If you are watching on YouTube, please feel free to comment. I would love to know your thoughts on this. You can find me on JacquelineClaireArt.com slash contact. You can also sign up for my email list there. And if you are listening on a podcast platform, please remember to subscribe so you can always catch my new episodes that are every other Tuesday. All right, you amazing human with a specific and powerful role to play in this day and age. I wish you the best for playing your part in making this world a better place. Catch you next time. I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode by Jacqueline Clare, an artist whose motivation is exploring how art can be elevating, transcending, culturally evolving, while also being inclusive, welcoming, and participatory. You can find the podcast and Jacqueline's art projects on her website, JacquelineClaireArt.com. You can find this interview and other interviews on the website, AbahaiPerspective.com, and on the YouTube channel, Abahai Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org or you can call the number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Can you hear the sound of 
hearts beating all the world around down in the valley out on the plain everywhere around the world the heartbeat sounds the same black or white red or tan it's the heart of the Can you hear the sound? Laughter All the world around High in the mountains Down by the sea Everywhere around the world Laughter sounds the same to me Black or white Red or tan It's the sound of the This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.